You are listening to a podcast from News Plus Radio. This is In the Spotlight. Echoes from ancient times with the tempo of the modern age. In the Spotlight, more choice from the vast landscape of authentic Chinese culture. Hello and welcome to this edition of In the Spotlight, a show featuring arts, culture, and showbiz from right here in China. I'm your host Li Ningqing. First up on today's program, we'll tell you about Germany's Goethe Institute that is bringing several modern German plays to an experimental theater here in Beijing. Following that, we'll be looking at an artisan who has spent her life preserving yoga culture through clothing. Plus, we'll be reading an encyclopedia about female health. Only doctors knows by Dr. Zhang Yu, and finally we'll hear our movie reviewer Lai Ming's assessment of the White Hat Witch of Lunar Kingdom, a Chinese kung fu fantasy 3D film adapted from Liang Yusheng's novel in Chinese, Bai Fa Mo Nu Zhuan. So plenty of entertaining and informative stories up ahead on In the Spotlight. Stay tuned. Germany's Goethe Institute is now bringing several modern German plays to an experimental theater in Beijing. The program is welcomed by the cultural circle and art enthusiasts in the Chinese capital. Xiong Siqi has more. It is a workday evening in Beijing. Outside the downtown theater, there's a long queue of people waiting to see something they don't usually see in local theaters—a modern German play, particularly the recitation of a script. The small experimental theater sitting deep in the alley has to turn down several people who arrive there late. Inside the theater building, actors are reciting the script of *Der Golden Drache*, a modern German play depicting stories taking place in a back street Chinese restaurant. Wang Ying, who is in her fifties, is attending with her husband. I like this kind of on-stage recitations. I am particularly fond of their works, which are mostly foreign classics. I also like their performances. And this opera house, the Golden Drag or the Golden Dragon, was first put on stage back in 2009 in Vienna. The black comedy is deemed as one of the leading works of modern German performing arts. Stage manager Jiang Jun says scripted recitation is an effective way to introduce new and experimental plays to local audiences. The best part of script recitation is that it provides a larger room for imagination, and it can better reflect the playwright's original intentions. Actress Wang Chunhong says it's also a precious opportunity for them to polish their acting skills. I can totally feel the mobility of the language when I do the recitations, which means I have a picture in mind when I read out those words. This is an effective way to help actors practice their imagination. <laughs> 
，所以我是其实觉得这也是一种特别能开发演员想象力的一种手段。Apart from the Golden Drag, actors are also set to recite another three modern German plays in Beijing in the coming months. Peter Anders, director of Goethe Institute China, says the project is designed to introduce modern German plays, particularly those from young writers, to the Chinese people. The purpose of our、uh, event is to familiarize and to promote German drama literature. Germany has a very vivid and bright theater scene, and、uh, it's a very famous、uh, scene in the world. And、uh, we would like to make clear that this is not only because of the theaters themselves. The But it's also because there are a lot of young authors writing interesting plays, and we are presenting these new plays. Chinese people's demand for theatre arts has shown steady growth in recent years amid income growth and the rise of metropolis middle class. Anders says they have chosen certain plays which can get the general public's attention instead of limiting the project to a highbrow event, which can only attract knowledgeable elites. All our programs are dedicated to a broad range of people. It's not just the universities, but also the so-called ordinary people. And this belongs to the texts. These texts are stories from families, from daily life in Germany. And、uh, so we believe that、uh, these texts are interesting, even though it is, of course, another context. But it is also the possibility to get an insight into today's Germany. Anders adds, "What makes cultural exchange crucial is its power to make people understand each other." I'm、uh, convinced that the cultural exchange is not just instrumentalizing for political and economical reason. I think it has an own value, and it's because、uh, it is dedicated to make the people understand each other better and to know each other better. For Chinese people who are eager to know the outside world, especially foreign arts, it is exactly what they need. Nomadic Uyghurs are one of China's 55 ethnic minorities. It is said that their history can be dated back to 3rd century BC. But as time goes by and lifestyles change, many unique traditions of Uyghurs are facing the threat of extinction. Ke Cuiling, a skilled artisan, has spent her entire life preserving Uyghur culture through clothing. Let's follow Nathan Wakelin King to hear her story. <laughs> Driving along the winding roads, climbing over the towering mountains, you will find vast grasslands unfold before your eyes. This is Sunan County of northwest China's Gansu Province, where Uyghur people have lived peacefully for thousands of years. With a bright smile and easygoing manners, 54-year-old Ke Cuiling stands outside of a wooden cabin and greets visitors in her mother tongue. At first glance, everyone will notice the clothes that she wears: a high-collared purple robe, a canister-shaped hat, plus two long bejeweled bands hanging from her chest to her toes. Working as the owner of a local ethnic clothing shop, Ke Cuiling points at her colorful bands and proudly explains. When a Uyghur girl gets married, she will wear head ornaments and a red tasseled hat. We call these bands as head ornaments. They are the representative costume to distinguish married and unmarried women. 
Taking a close look, you could find beads, silver plates, and red corals elaborately crafted on the garnishes. Since we are nomads, we wear our properties. Therefore, these wedding clothes and head ornaments are very valuable. We also things like pearls, agates, or corals on the ornaments. According to Kerr, not only the materials of these costumes are fastidiously selected, but the workmanship must be very exquisite as well. Everything needs to be made by hand, so sewing a lace could take more than ten days. Like many traditional crafts that are passed down over generations, Kerr learnt it from her mother and elder sister from an early age. Before 1949, my mother weaved blankets, extracted butter, and did needlework for rich families since the age of eight. After 1949, she did all these handworks for our own family instead of working for others. My elder sister started to work with her since early teens. Now the craft has been passed down to me. Before she opened the shop, Kerr says she worked for the local culture center. Despite the tight schedule, Kerr still managed to learn more from other craftsmen during her spare time. Over three decades, she has mastered more than a dozen unique Yugo manual skills. In 2013, the artisan was entitled as the national inheritor of the Yugo ethnic costume craft. However, with the invasion of modern lifestyles, many young Yugos no longer favor the traditional clothing, and the absence of successes worries Kertoiling. There are only a few craftsmen left. Taking cowhide carving, for example, I'm the only one who still knows how to do it, and I pass down the skill to my daughter. Crafts such as Yugo paper cart, knitting, and wood weaving have no inheritor anymore. In order to preserve the traditional crafts, Kerr has encouraged her entire family to learn the skills and accepted dozens of apprentices. My apprentices range from young girls to people in their thirties and forties. I also teach Han and Tibetan people. There are only about ten thousand Uyghurs, so the number of people working in this industry is dropping. You cannot make a fortune by doing handwork, but inheritance is something must be done. Along with the development of tourism, many local tailor shops are selling Yugo costumes in the hope of making money. But Ke Tsuiling expresses that profit should not be the main concern. I hope these tailor shops could concentrate on the inheritance, because if you go after commercialization aggressively, I think things may turn sour. I can see that right now. For many shopkeepers, the only thing they crave is to make money. So many traditional elements of Yugo clothes might be missing. Of course, compared with the coarse clothing we made before, today's costumes become more exquisite. It's a good thing, but you should know where to put the decoration on the head ornaments, what kind of clothes you wear for wedding, festival, and funeral. That is what I want to educate people. Aside from training apprentices, Ke Tsuiling is also preparing to build a living museum. The exhibits will be the traditional Yugo items she collected over the years. I started to collect old items at the age of 14. So my elder brother said his favorite sister is a garbage collector. At that time, I didn't know I was collecting. I just gathered up old items that my family or others don't use and put them inside a closet. But when I studied at Northwest University for Nationalities, I started to realize the importance of these items for preserving Yugo culture. 
My mother also influenced me a lot. Whenever we were going to eliminate some old stuff, she would say, "These things belong to our past. If we throw it away, we will never see them again." From the tent, saddled to Thanka paintings, Kerr collects nearly 1,000 items. By displaying these items, she is planning to build a village to reveal a vivid picture of how Yugas live in a tribe. You can find lots of exhibits inside the museum, but over the years, youngsters won't know how to use them. So I hope one day, after visiting my village, people will know how to use bucket to make milk tea and how to yarn. I want to pass these things down. For Kutsui Ling, her only ambition is to train more successors. But Kerr says she will not thwart young Yugas to leave their hometown. Maybe one day they could come back to this vast grassland and use what they have learned from the outside world to pass down the unique culture of the Yuga. That was Nathan Wakelin King reporting. Dr. Zhang Yu is a well-known gynecologist and obstetrician at Peking Union Medical College Hospital, or Xiehe Hospital in Beijing, and arguably the best in her field. In her new book, an encyclopedia about female health, titled "Only Doctors Know," Zhang made great efforts to share with women the correct information about their bodies, so that they would know how to protect themselves and be the masters of their fate without unnecessarily hurting themselves. Let's follow Shi Huiguang to learn what this book is all about. Believe it or not. Only doctors know has been printed for more than twenty times since it was published last year. It's by all means a bestseller. Doctor Zhang Yu used her sharp wit and kind heart to tell what she knows about the human body in a humorous way. The book relays important health information to the readers through twenty stories that take place in the hospital. When asked why she revealed things that only doctors know to the public, Doctor Zhang Yu replies. Doctors of Xiehe Hospital are always busy, more than fully loaded. We have no time to drink water or go to the bathroom the whole morning. Each of us could meet twenty to thirty patients in a half day. In fact, most of the patients have similar problems. The same illnesses are found in many people in the same age group. For some patients, if they had the knowledge about the symptoms. And went to hospital earlier, they would have got much better outcomes. Or if they knew more about their own body and took some proper precautions, they would not get sick at all. That's why I decided to write this book. The best doctors cure the illness before it happens. This is a judgment from Huang Di Neijing, one of the most prominent and important medical book of ancient China, and Dr. Zhang considers it as her motto. The first story in the book happens to Xiao Yan, a 21-year-old college girl. She insists her stomachache was caused by periods. The doctor suspects that she got ectopic pregnancy, but she refuses to acknowledge she has sexual behavior. However, the result of the urine test confirms the doctor's judgment. Before the operation, Xiao Yan begins to bleed massively, but she refuses to call her parents to sign for her. 
because her mother once said that she would be beaten to death if she dared to have sex before marriage, and her boyfriend also refuses to sign for her. At the life or death moment, the doctor chose to take the responsibility to save her life without considering the possible troubles. 那么小燕醒过来以后说：“妈妈，我做错了。” When Xiao Yan wakes up and sees her mom, she says, "Mom, I was wrong." Her mom says, "If you have any trouble in the future, you should tell mom first. In fact, every child should know that the only ones would help you without hesitation when you are in trouble are your mom and dad. However, more often than not, parents become the last persons that one would ask for help. We all should think about why." As the Chinese saying goes, doctors have parental love and kindness. Zhang Yu is such a doctor. We can see the mercy she shows to her patients throughout the book, especially when she met a patient named Lin Qing. Everyone has the experience of being sick in the hospital, on your own or accompanied by your families or friends. Have you ever felt that whenever you stay at hospital, you're not yourself? You're turned into a number. Number thirty-five, time to have an injection. Number twenty-six, take the pills. Also, you have the patient's clothes on and lose your uniqueness. You'd feel ignored. It says you will refuse to listen to the doctors. So when I called her Lin Qing instead of her bad number, she felt that she was acknowledged as a person. It says she put her defenses down naturally and would like to listen to our suggestions. Readers will learn many medical and surgical vocabularies from the book. Doctor Zhang warms up those cold, strange words by putting them into the heartwarming stories. Some medical students see this book as an interesting version of the thick textbooks on obstetrics and gynecology. Besides the medical knowledge and health advices, Zhang Yu also tries to give recommendations on the attitudes patients should adopt towards malignant diagnosis. Not every illness can be cured thoroughly. Patients should learn to accept the fact and get along with it. Nowadays in China, the once sacred relationship between patient and doctor is strained. The frequent medical disputes have become a common problem in medical services. We talk is actually patient-patient. Doctor flies by to treat you, send you to sea. I think it's like we are trying to come across the river in one boat. Just like in the dark night, the doctors strive to paddle for you in the strong current. Not any doctor would guarantee to arrive at the other side safe and sound. Birth and death are internal same of life. Human knows little about diseases. In case we get sick and get on the boat in the dark night, what we should do is to try our best to backbone the doctor. And the author has further thoughts on doctor-patient relations. The relationship is not simply a doctor helping patients or saving lives. Good patients often have strong impacts on doctors as well. The patients participate in building my outlook and values on life. All the patients I have met contribute to who I am. You 参与我将来成为一个什么样的人？ To cure sometimes, to relieve often, to comfort always, 
is the epitaph of the American doctor E. L. Trudeau, and it is exactly what Dr. Zhang Yu and her colleagues are doing. Chi Huiguang reporting. You're listening to In the Spotlight. Now it's time for a movie review. The White-Haired Witch of Lunar Kingdom is a Chinese martial arts fantasy 3D film adapted from Liang Yusheng's novel of the same title. In Chinese, Bai Fa Mo Nu Zhuan. Directed by Jacob Chung, the film stars Fan Bingbing as the titular character, with Huang Xiaoming, Vincent Zhao, and others among the supporting cast. Lai Ming has the review. If you've decided to watch Chinese wuxia fantasy film *The White-Haired Witch of Lunar Kingdom* or *Bai Fa Mo Nu Zhuan*, make sure you've read the original novel by Liang Yusheng. Otherwise, you'll have to use your imagination to sail through the film's problematic storyline. Liang Yusheng is one of the three most important wuxia story writers in China. His 1957 novel *Bai Fa Mo Nu Zhuan*. Tells of the romance between a young swordsman Zhuo Yihang and his lover Lian Yichang. He is called Lian Yichang. He is now my wife. Set near the end of the Ming Dynasty, the story also depicts an ailing empire plagued by internal corruption and Manchurian invasion. Director Jacob Chan's film adaptation has failed to reconcile the subplots. And as a result, the narrative develops like a deserted bonsai, with wild grass shooting at various directions. The most obvious strain of runaway storyline is the love story. A few inventive alterations, notwithstanding, it seems the director is utterly incapable of romantic thinking. His way of showing the beginning of affections is to have two beautiful actor and actress gazing into each other's eyes while spinning in midair and slow motion. His ultimate weapon is actor Huang Xiaoming's perfectly symmetric face and Fan Bingbing's whitewashed one. They serve as silent but eloquent accusations against anyone who dares to doubt their sincerity. Obviously, people with good looks belong together. If not, then there are some serious problems with the story. A second subplot is the court intrigue. The director devotes considerable screen time to the depiction of a eunuch who usurps imperial power to prosecute upright political adversaries. Our hero Zhuo Yihang is one of his victims, so naturally we expect some major bloodshed before the closing credits. But before he has time to deliver on his promise of revenge, some emergency at the nation's border demands our attention, and our hero is summoned to save the day. It's in the latter half of the film that we finally see the title character take the central stage. That's when both leading characters show abrupt changes in their personalities. The previously strong and confident hero Zhuo Yihang suddenly becomes as feeble as a lamb. While the loving Lian Yichang simply goes berserk, the character inconsistency suggests the filmmakers have placed their attention elsewhere, although no one can tell exactly where. Perhaps the only commendable part of this film is the post-production. There are plenty of computer-generated visual spectacles to show off the Lunar Kingdom. The splendor looks artificial, but is impressive nonetheless. That was Lai Ming giving us his take on the movie *The White-Haired Witch of Lunar Kingdom*.
With that, we've come to the end of this edition of In the Spotlight. We hope you've enjoyed the show. If you have any comments or suggestions, you can email us at spotlight at cri.com.cm. You can also log on to our website at www.newsplusradio.cn to find out more about today's topics or catch up on any of our previous editions. I'm Lin Jing, and thank you for listening. Please tune in same time next week for more interesting stories. Bye bye. Thanks for downloading this edition of the program. To find out more, please go to our website newsplusradio.cn. We hope you enjoy it.